0: Brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own sin, uh, bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has had enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish. All who see begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening that we can come here all together just to hear your word. That we are so privileged to come before you and to hear what you have to say. May you be the one who is speaking to all our hearts. This evening may it not be my own words. May I not add anything or take away anything from what is said here. But may we have ears to hear as we go through this text. We pray all this in So when I was a sophomore in undergrad, uh, I was wrestling a lot during that time of whether or not I wanted to pursue full-time ministry. I remember during this time I had basically told everybody: I told my mother, my sister, I told my friends, I told my pastor, my uh, church leaders that this is something that I was really considering. Uh, But there was one person. I made sure I didn't tell, and that was my father. Uh, It's not because my dad wasn't a believer; he's a believer. But if you're an Asian American or Asian in general, you probably know the family pressure that you want to do something that your your parents tell you to do. And at the time, my dad had this aspiration and dream for me to become a businessman—not just any businessman, but he wanted to become a businessman that would eventually take over the company that he had built and successf- successfully uh, done well in. So with that in mind, I made sure, I told my mom, you cannot tell dad until I for sure know that this is what I want. So by the end of the year, when I had said, you know this is where I think the Lord is calling me and I, I wanna do this, I believe this is where he is leading me at this time. Uh, so I got my dad to the living room and I said, "Dan." I need to to talk to you and tell you something. So he sits down, and I I say, Dad, uh, I want to become a pastor. And for whatever reason, my dad, whenever he gets stern or serious or angry, he speaks in two ways. Uh, He speaks very deep in his tone, and he speaks only in broken English. He doesn't speak in Korean. He only speaks in broken English. The first thing that he says to me is, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> and my son, you do not know what you're talking about. You're crazy. You don't know. Do you not know that you want to become businessman, become rich? You don't want to be pastor. You'll be poor. You'll suffer. You'll, you'll die. It's terrible. You're going you're gonna to have to read books rest of life. I'm like, all right, Dad, I know. And I even got so emotional at the time because I saw in his face how displeased he was that I even got on my knees and I said, Dad, uh, this is what I really want. I, I know how hard it's going to be. I even had tears in my eyes and I said, Dad, th- this I know. I know how much this pains you to hear this, but I really believe the Lord is calling me. My dad says, Luke, no, 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 no. Talk to me next week. Oh, go make sure. You're not sure right now. I don't think you're sure. So I said, okay. I think a lot of us, uh, we've asked some kind of question like this to someone, whether it's our child or to a friend or to our spouse, and have asked, Are you sure? Uh, Johnny, you, you sure you want to wear slippers today in the cold? I don't, I don't know if you want to uh, do that. Uh, honey, you, you want to put mustard in your pasta? I don't know if you, you should do that. Or are, are you really sure you want to do this right now? I, I don't think you should. Sure. You should think it over again. And that's really the question that I want to ask all of you here tonight. Are you sure? Are you sure that this is what you want? Are you sure that this life is the life that you really want to live? Are you sure that following Christ and being his disciple is something you desire? And maybe you're here saying, Luke, that's very interny of you to ask. I mean, I'm here on a Sunday evening. I'm not watching Sunday night football. I'm not at home, resting by the kids by fireside. I'm, I'm here. I'm serious about this. I want this. I want to hear God's word. I want to know what you have to say. I'm, I'm here to even hear from you by all people. This, this is how serious I am of hearing God's word. So that's kind of a ludicrous question of you to ask me. Do I want to know? Do I want to follow Christ? Of course I want to follow Christ. But what I want to say to you right now is that your desire alone Your desire doesn't validate your discipleship to Christ. John Piper might say something different, but what I want to say is your desire alone, it doesn't validate your discipleship to Christ. Because what we find at the beginning of our text this evening is that great crowds, it said, accompanied Jesus in wherever he went. It says in verse 25, crowds of hundreds, thousands maybe, that always accompanied him because they wanted to see what he had to say. They they wanted to see all the miracles he could perform. They wanted to see his healings. They wanted to be part of all the food that he could give out. They wanted to see what was going on with this huge show. But every now and then, Jesus would always draw this line. And he would say, look, if you want to follow me, then there are some things you need to know. It's not a free show. It's not something you can just come and watch. There are some things that you must know and understand if you want to be my disciple. And here, Jesus does this again, giving three distinct commands in verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33 of who cannot be a disciple of Christ. And these are our three points for this evening, okay? Christ's command of a family cost. Two, Christ's command of a deathly cost. And three, Christ's command of a worldly cost. So number one, Christ's command of a family cost. As a Korean American growing up in America, I have witnessed that uh, family in general is not as much valued in the West than it is in the East. in Korea, there is this proverb that really emphasizes the importance of family. It says this, I mean, that was really butchered Korean. If you're Korean, I'm sorry, but I'm sure many of you don't know, know what I said. It basically means is the rice that is growing and the other family may look bigger and greater and stronger, but the rice that is, In my family that we've grown and planted, I cherish more because it's ours. In other words, that child in that family, he looks a lot bigger, stronger, more athletic, or more gifted in a lot of things than my child. But my child, I love more. I value more because he's blood, because he's my family. And my mom, she would always used to say that if you don't know how to take care of family don't know how to take care of anything. So there is this huge emphasis in in my heritage that family is very valued, very important. Even for me, going to New Year's conference this year, it's actually really hard because New Year's is a big thing in Korea, and for me, even for my family, that's even for them too hard to swallow. But for me, when I became a a Christian, uh, this verse, in verse 26, I found myself deeply Troubled and confused as to what Jesus had commanded us to do. I mean, I think for a lot of us here reading this can be a little confused as to what he is saying. I mean, to hate—he says to hate our father, that if we do not hate our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brothers, our sisters, in our very own life, that we cannot be called as one of his disciples. I mean, that—that's a bit strange. It's, it's got to be a little alarming to some of us that Jesus would say this. I mean, this very Jesus that says to love our neighbors, I mean, isn't my family my neighbor? I mean, this Jesus that says in John 13, 35 that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then, why? Why does Jesus here seem to change his rhetoric or his language? I mean, did he say this in the Old Testament or something? Maybe love my kin or something. That I, or hate thy kin and I, I miss that? Or why, why does he use this here? Well, <clears throat> Jesus, he did use the word hate often in his ministry. And according to ESV, 26 times he mentions the word hate. And 26 times, 18 times, it references to us either being hated for following Christ or those who hated Christ during his ministry. And I found that seven other times, Jesus uses hate to command us in hating sin. And this is the only time where I really found that Jesus uses the word hate to hate our family. And I found that very odd. Why, why does he say that we must Hate our family, does this mean that? That Because it's this one instant that it validates that? And the quick answer to this really is it's no. You don't hate your family members. I'm sorry, kids, if you thought that you were doing the one thing right by hating your brother and sister, that's not what it means. Because in this command of hating our family, it may be distinct. It is not actually a unique command. Uh, If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39, we find this parallel of what Christ commands us in Luke 14. It says here, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worth of me. Whoever finds his life and will lose it. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So here in Matthew's account of the gospel, we see that Jesus has essentially given the same command without using the language of hate before our family members. He says that we are to actually love Christ more than our family. We are to have a greater love for Christ than we do for our family members. You are to say in your heart, maybe even look to your children, your spouse, the ones near you, that may, the ones that you cherish the most, and say, I love Christ more than you. I love Christ with a greater affection than I have for you. I mean, how, how many of us can honestly, though, honestly say that? I mean, can we really examine our hearts and say, person who I truly treasure in life, the one that I love the most with all my heart, is Christ. It's it's not my kid. It's not my newborn infant. It's not my grandparents. No, it's, it's Christ. I mean, do you find your comfort and shelter more in your family than the one who gave it to you? I think what I've found from going to church my whole life is that maybe one of the more excusable idolatries for a Christian is the idolatry of the family. Uh, this is not like some statistic I pulled out or something I found online. Uh, this is just something that I'm just saying. It's a Luke Kim thing, and I think a lot of we think because God has given to, this to us as a gift, as an institution, something that we must. Uh, fill the world with more Christian babies, catechize them, grow them up to be men and women of God. And I love all of that. And amen, like I really want uh, a family of my own to really exalt Christ. And URC has been a place where I have really admired to be a a place where so many Christ-centered families have really been able to glorify Christ in all they do. But I think that for many of us, we can be hard-pressed to say, We find more importance, more value, uh, more significance in uh, in Christ than we do in our family. And I know that families to us have been gifted to us that we may glorify God, but we must remember that families are not there for so that become our God. They, They are not to replace. The one who has given this gracious gift to us that we may enjoy with one another. We are to understand that families are not the greatest love of our life, that our greatest love is in Christ alone. And Christ is demanding, not even suggesting, he's demanding that you must love me more than these. And if you cannot do so, then you cannot be my disciple. And that's a difficult command, isn't it? I'm not really sure what that feels like as a father, to know what that's like, to say to even maybe my own daughter that I love Christ more than thee, or to even teach my own child to love them, love have them love Christ more than me. I don't know what that's like. But for me to say to my mom and dad that I love Jesus more than them, it's, it's difficult. Heart pressing. Jesus doesn't end with just this uh, condition. He doesn't end with this command of a family cause. He he moves on to another command of the deathly cause, the second command. In verse 27, it states that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So as you may know, this is a command that Jesus often gave to the Gods. This isn't like the first time he's done this. He said he da- he mentions this. Five other times in the gospels. He does this in Matthew ten thirty-eight, Matthew sixteen, twenty-four, Mark eight, thirty-four, Luke nine, twenty-three, and here in verse twenty-seven. And whenever Jesus mentioned to the crowds of carrying their own cross, he would typically mention three things. He would always say, one, to deny yourself, two, to take up your cross, and three, to follow him. He would always say those three things. But here in this account from Luke, one thing stands out from the others. Jesus, if you look, doesn't say here that we are to take up our cross and follow him, but he says here that we are to bear our own cross and come after him. So maybe we could say, oh, that's a little just nuanced, synonymous to carrying our cross or taking up our cross. I can totally see what you're saying, but I think the word bear here is used distinctively to illustrate even further of how much one will have to endure suffering throughout his life. We we must remember that the cross is not some symbol for Christianity. When the crowds heard this, they didn't think, oh, this means I'm Christian. No, it it meant a symbol of death. It was a symbol of pain. It was an execution tool. It's not some magic wand that, Kids may use to kill vampires. It doesn't work. I, I've already tried doing that. It's, it's a symbol of, of suffering and agony and pain that the, that the crowds would have understood, not a symbol of love. So Jesus here is painting this picture that if you want to follow him, then you must know that you will experience pain. You will experience Agony. You will experience tears and you will have heartache in becoming a disciple. And with bearing your own cross, he's saying that you will also have to crucify your own desires in life. So much like Jesus, when he took up the cross in obedience to the Father's will, he had to crucify his own fleshly desires and carry out the will of the Father. Carrying out in obedience. And that's why we are also to carry it by his will, not our fleshly will. So it's a a call to suffer, but a call to also to die to our flesh, to die to our name. And notice here, if you look, that Jesus doesn't end this by saying, whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. He says also, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The suffering in itself, doesn't mark someone as a Christian. I mean, Otherwise, we could find many people in the world who are suffering and be hard to differentiate what truly marks a disciple of Christ. I think what Christ uh, points out here is that suffering with pursuing Christ, suffering with following after Him in the midst of our pain and suffering. So even when things look tough and things look hard, when, when everything seems going against you, when you're going through some toughest seasons of your life when you're going through some difficulties that you have never endured before, Christ says that you must come after me. Come after me and continue to do it in perseverance, persevering through your struggles and your hardships. Jesus, he further illustrates this cause by giving two parables, if you look, for people to consider. First parable, we find that he illustrates of a man who desires to build a tower. In the second parable, we find an illustration of a king who is about to go into war or make a demand or make a peace treaty. And I think if you read these parables initially, we can easily spot out the similarities of the parables. Uh, for one, in verses 28 and 31, we find that they both sit down and think over the decision the man or the king must make. And two, they count the cost and deliberate in their mind of what choice to make. So there is this parallel that we can draw from uh, these parables and say that you and I, that we, you and I should sit down and, and deliberate and think through of deciding what choice to make. Uh, but what, what we can also find in these parables are two different points that we can find, two different angles. If we look at the parable of the tower, what we see is that uh, the man has the freedom to choose to build a tower, whereas the king, he's in a position where he's being invaded. Uh, he, he's being invaded by another army, so he is being in a position of being forced to make a decision. Uh, so what I think the per- first parable essentially is saying is that you are to sit down and see if you can afford to follow Christ. The second parable is saying, sit down and see if you can refuse the demands of Christ. And I think both of which are essentially asking, can you sit down and consider Christ more valuable, more valuable than anything or anyone else in your life? Do you see Christ, behold him, and say that you can refuse him in all his glory. Is, is his call and, and his life of discipleship even worth considering? And I think Jesus, he, he has uh, done this before in asking his disciples. If we look in John 6, Jesus gave this teaching about this bread of life uh, to the Jews and his disciples. And they were confused about eating uh, his flesh and drinking his blood and what you find out later is that many disciples had turned away from him. And Jesus asked his questions to Peter, Peter, do you also want to turn away from me? And Peter, the famous response, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When, when you're considering Christ and sit down and think it through, do know and understand that the Lord has the words of eternal life, that, that He is the Holy One of God, that He is the Savior? I mean, do you believe that He is the way, the truth, the life, and that in Christ you find a shepherd who feeds you and protects you, and that in Christ that there's, there's a greater purpose for your life than you think of at today? And if you're here saying, yeah, I, I believe all this, look, you're, you're kind of saying really a lot of stuff that I already know. And it might be true, but I implore all of you to think of, think it through again and again. Whether you've been a Christian for a week or five years, 10 years, 20 years, I think we all need to think every single morning again and again and consider the cost. I, I don't think the Lord wants any more people who are half-heartedly following the Lord. He doesn't want people who come on a limb because they come on a Sunday evening just because everyone else is doing it. Because the crowd is coming in. They want to hear what the teaching the teacher has to say. The Lord wants all of us to follow Him because we see that He is worth following. We see that He is worth all the cost. He he doesn't want people who come here and and have uh, this this devotion uh, that is willing to sacrifice only parts of their life for Christ. And Jesus, he, he, he wants people to understand that living a discipleship to Christ doesn't mean you have lesser things in life. But that in your discipleship to Christ, you have everything you need in life. That that he's your all. He's all that you need. Once you come to a point of this, then you begin to realize that your whole life, the cost that you may endure, is no longer this burden, but it's, it's a cost of your whole life that is joyous. It has become your joy that you suffer for his sake, for his name. It's a cost that you are worth dying for. And thirdly, Jesus commands of a worldly cost. In verse 33, he says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I think it can be easy to conclude that from reading this, Christ is just re Re-emphasizing the fact that we must surrender our family, our comfort, our lives just to follow Jesus. But I think that we must also get from this verse is that Jesus is also commanding us to surrender to things that we might most value in life. Um, Jesus says that the one who does not renounce all that he has cannot be a disciple. So, so what does this mean? Does this mean that we have to give up everything, all of our possessions? And that's what we may immediately think of, our physical things that we most desire in life? Does that mean I have to give up so many of my hobbies, um, my joys that I found that I've, God has given me? And I don't think that's what he means. I think what, what he, he's aiming at here is that whatever greater love we have in life that is greater than Christ, he says this earlier, we are also to surrender those things to follow him. We are to put to death anything that might steer Christ away from our hearts. So it isn't mainly about what you physically possess that leads you away from Him, but it can also be things that possess your hearts, what what has been blinding you from seeing Christ, what has captured your mind that that is steering you away from thinking of Him and and meditating on it. And, And if some of you here, you're thinking through all of this and you're saying, this, all of these commands, I I understand that that my mind and my heart should be fully devoted to Christ. I need to surrender everything, but this sounds a lot like a missions, a missionary preaching kind of type of sermon. And and what I want to say for you is that Christ doesn't specifically command here and say to all the missionaries, hear all this. To all the Pastors or future ministers, hear all this. This is the cost that you will bear. But if you look, that's not what he says. He directs to everyone three times, he says. In verse 26, it begins with, if anyone. In verse 28, for which one of you. And in verse 33, any one of you. So he's saying all of you here. It's, it's not for just a mission. any one of you who desire, who want to follow me, then hear this. You must love me more than your family, more than yourself. You must go through pain. You must endure suffering. You must surrender all that you value in your life to follow me. Otherwise, if you cannot do one of those things, then you cannot be my disciple. And that includes all People, even children, even grandparents, it doesn't matter how old you are, Christ is calling each and one of you, saying, follow me, but know this, this isn't for everybody. This line that I've drawn, is only for people who really want to die to their name, to crucify their flesh, to know that this cost is not a light cost, but a cost that will be of your whole life. David Platt, he wrote this book on radical, and he says this regards to surrender and of a radical obedience. He says, a radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's no comfort, not health, no wealth, and no prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risks find its reward in Christ, and He is more than enough. What I want to say right now again is, if you haven't already done this, sit down and consider the cost, and ask yourself again, are you sure? Are you sure about this? I mean, this this is heavy stuff. I mean, if you're if you're compromising one of these things, Christ says you cannot be my disciple. You cannot. Are you sure that this is worth it? And my answer to this question is yes. He is worth all the suffering, all the persecution, all the struggles. And this is not because I have endured all the sufferings in life. I'm just an intern. I don't know much more than anyone else here feels. I don't know what what my life will look like in a year, a week or two, or how much I may suffer or go through some pain. I don't know if I will even finish this race with faithfulness, but I pray that I do. But I know that it is worth it, but because of the glorious truth that in Jesus, in Jesus who carried the cross, who abandoned, who was abandoned by his friends, who obeyed the will of the Father, who crucified his own flesh and desires, who surrendered his whole life for the world. I know that Jesus in him is life, that in Jesus is salvation, and that he is the greatest treasure that anyone can ever find in this life. Anything that you find, the comfort that you find in your family, yourself, in this world, all of that is found in Christ know, and all the difficult struggles that you may go through the next week, next years, and the rest of your life. It'll be a joyous thing for you to go through in this journey because it's all for Christ himself. Christ is worth. Father in heaven, it can be really hard to follow you. It's not easy. There are struggles in this life that many of us are going through right now in this room and we sometimes question of whether or not we want to continue this race. But we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the truth that in Christ there is life. That in Christ there is freedom and in Christ are able to live with such joy and such freedom that no nothing else in this life could really provide. So we pray, Lord, that we would look to you and that we would sit down and count the cost and say, Lord, you are worthy. We pray all this in